Hey guys, welcome to This Is Fine, a podcast that touches on different areas of mental health, from traumas to self-improvement, where I, your host, who is always doing the most, Ivor, unpack insights that may provide some direction as you navigate this thing we call life. Now, I've been MIA for a couple of weeks because I was in the teensiest little accident that had a tiny, like a little bit of damage on my body, not that much, but it did require like a stretch of treatment. And then getting back into daily life was more of a mental challenge than it was a physical challenge because like that feeling of being unable to do daily things like wash my hands properly or uh, clean my home to my standard, uh, typing things, writing, using a pen, getting dressed, uh, uh, just washing myself the way that I'm used to. And lastly, not being able to exercise. You know, and I've mentioned many times and will many more how important exercise is for me because that physical exertion is part of um, my mental health routine. Now, you know, I was or actually I still am unable to do many of those things uh, effectively, especially exercise. And then all the other things that I can do was like a big lesson in in examining what I thought about failure, success, and I guess letting go. So this week's topic will revolve around those thoughts, um, perhaps the insights that um you know, that I got. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get to something. So I want to start off saying that I want to s- focus and bring attention to saying the feeling of success and the feeling of failure rather than success and failure themselves because they mean different things to different people. And And when you reach success, people or reach your definition of success or in the eyes of the world, um, how everyone feels about that is different. And the same is with failure. So I make sure to use those words because even though I feel like a failure not having been able to record the podcast, I know that, for instance, I'm not. Um, Because the show has become a part of my mental health routine without me really realizing it. And so it was hard to deal with like not being able to do it because it was a commitment that I had set out to do. And so being that I was physically able to sit down and record last week and I thought I was mentally ready and I did, but what I said was so disconnected and I just, I wasn't there. And that's when I realized that the injury that I have, it took a lot or it takes a lot of physical bodily resources. So my energy gets depleted very quickly. And after workday, exhaustion sets in really quickly. And then compound that with like medication. And it's just, uh, it just wasn't flowing at that day. So to be honest, even now it is harder, you know, but it's been five weeks and it's time to push myself little by little. So today's episode is a little bit more like uh, restructured restru- um, than usual. Um, because I've thought about it for a while. And I just realized that I've kind of made my own ritual because I talk about mental health tips that I've picked up along like my journey of, of reading um, and podcast listening. I'm not going to say research because I'm not a scientist. Um, of intense reading and, and, and 
finding of information. Um, but I haven't sat down and used those tools to carve something specific to me yet until today, I think. And I'll share that with y'all towards like the end of the road, the end of the episode. But right now, let's follow the white rabbit and see where it all leads. So the topic of failure and success came to me as I, or rather the feeling of failure and the feeling of success came to me as I experienced like long periods of time with, long like moments with, like long conversations with existential dread brought on by an accident that rendered me in hospital for two weeks. So one of the things that I was thinking after somewhat of a dramatic but rather calmly handled by me turn of events as I navigated getting surgery was that right before, like prior to surgery, I, you know, in the process of getting admitted to hospital, the the nurses, the doctors were so like confused as to why I'm doing this alone. Why am I here alone? Why am I trying to fill out these forms with my left hand unable to alone? Why am I trying to get home to get like fresh clothes and underwear and and stuff? What, you know, I was feeling was confusion because I guess by the norms of society, I'm supposed to have someone around me and it's obviously it's better, it's more helpful. And they were just like, uh, why is no one coming? Um, but I've been so fiercely independent and self-sufficient that I was really annoyed by that because it was both an, a big deal and also at the same time, not that much of an issue. But the thing that I know that kept rolling around in my mind, which was interfering with, which they were interfering with, was what's the next step? What's the next thing that I have to do? Focus on this thing, get to the hospital, and then that's done. Focus on that and then gets done. What's the next thing? And so throughout the entire procedure, and though the surgery was minor, it was urgent. It was time sensitive. But the thing that I thought of <laughs> on the operating table, blind as I was, because I had to take out my contact lenses and couldn't see a damn thing because I'm like rather blind, was the fact that if even if the surgery goes well, I could still not wake up. My heart could stop for any known or unknown reason. And here's the interesting thing. I wasn't scared. I wasn't afraid because I had always said I'm not scared of dying. I'd always said it, but haven't been faced or recently been faced with that like ever-present reality that you could die right now. Like I could go outside and get hit by a car or something and I could die or I could sleep and not wake up. You know, this is it. Like I was laying on that bed and for many people I thought the last thing that you get to see is the ceiling of a hospital room. And so when I woke up, there was, I want to say a major shift in how I viewed the world, but that's not accurate. It's actually more like a deepened sense of some of my existing paths and helped me see in areas where I may be too intense. So one thing that is for sure though, and a story for another day, but I'll touch on it. I'll touch on it on it a little bit now, is that I will continue to highlight thoughts and ideas and processes in society that were normalized during racism and segregation, and that is alienating and annoying a lot of people around me recently, because they like to think that not everything in this world is about race, but you only think that way 
when you're benefiting or have benefited from that system. Because that is a battle that I have decided to fight, that I have decided to pick up along with many others. And if the people around me feel uncomfortable, if they feel attacked when I talk about it, then that's the devil on their back. The problem isn't me making things about race and racism at nauseam, despite how the people in the room feel. The problem is that it's still socially unacceptable, and those people are always white. You know, those people are always the ones that are uncomfortable with the conversations. So the problem isn't me talking about it. Because you not talking about it automatically makes you complicit because racism has evolved to become as blatant as it is now. It is also deeply, uh, what's the word, surreptitious and, and covert. So in the hospital, I realized that that's part of the battle that I picked up and that I fight for the women in my life that have and are, exp and are still experiencing that. And so I'm never going to apologize for speaking out because if the topic offends you or hurts your feelings, that is part of white guilt that, that I'm not responsible for because placating to that guilt for you, placating to your feelings is in itself something that comes from the caste system, if you really think about it. But <laughs> let me stay on topic. I'm getting a little bit fired up. Um, that's a tangent. That is for another day. So let's get get um, back to the topic of failure and success. And, you know, by way of a two-week stay in the hospital and at least another month from now of me not being able to function like I used to before... So after I realized or re-realized or reaffirmed that I wasn't afraid of death, you know, I had the surgery, woke up, still mostly paralyzed from anesthesia. My mind ran from, you know, this corner to like the edge of that cliff to like some dark thoughts over here, some humorous ones. But I realized that what I think I was searching for were, I, I don't know, regrets and how they were a minimum and so I think the question that I was trying to answer was really you know by running around the infinite space of thought was what are my regrets for the most part like I said they are few and not superficial you know I'd like to list them right now but actually emotionally I don't know if I'm ready but what I can say is that I've learned and like realized that regret, which in itself, in its nature, is married to failure, to a sense of failure, to a feeling of failure. You know, I, and I did find that I've been living out a certain definition of success that I think I've been crafting and it's best described by the novelist Toni Morrison. Now, for those of you who don't know and I wager a guess that many of you listening to this podcast may not know that Toni Morrison is or was a very big reason that black literature is part of the mainstream media as she helped pave the way by being the first black woman senior editor of nonfiction at Random House. Now, Random House, if ever you see like that Penguin Publishing 
that's them, that's Random House. It's one of the largest and most powerful book publishers to this day, meaning that they have a lot of, of, of control over the intellectual content that is available on the most one of the most ancient forms of learning and sharing on, of information. So Tony said something that I read as a teenager. I, I read a lot of like different quotes as a teenager. I used to like read them and then collect them and then write like lists of quotes that I that I felt that I felt important to my life at that time. So Tony Morrison said something um, that I think I never really got as a as a, as a teenager, preteen actually. But I stumbled on it today and I thought I'd share the wisdom of a black woman with you. She said, For me, success is not a public thing. It's a private thing. It's when you have fewer and fewer regrets. And so maybe that is something that you can think about and and something that you could meditate on if you do or apply to your life in some kind of way, something you could write down maybe and look at every day because I think that it will subconsciously prepare you to answer those questions one day. One of the biggest successes that I think that, that, that we can embody is the realization that success is for you and it's no one needs to know about it. No one needs to know how successful you are. Once you get to that, then the superficial measures of success drop away like automatically and you're left either knowing what you want or not knowing what you want and either of those spaces those those destinations are great um starting points for something different for something else if you feel that your life requires that direction and i think that is actually a perfect point for me to uh transition into the idea that who said this i think it was james clear again life is easier when you know what you want so like most people know this you know, but I have yet to actually find a person who has taken the time down to sit, you know, talk with someone, talk with their friends, talk with themselves to actually figure out what it is that you want and, and different areas of your life, like romantically or career-wise or, or growth-wise. What do you want? And now I want to ask the question, when is the last time that you have evaluated or even identified the things that are important to you? And that was obviously brought to me because I had to face that um, due to this injury. You know, I was stuck in a hospital bed with not a lot of the usual mobility and it became extremely difficult to exercise or engage in activities that I had built as a routine and a process for my mental fortitude. Though, you know, I could tough it out for a few days, but not exercising, not having a routine, not having agency over my own body, the way that I'm used to did send me to dark places. Um, you know, I still can't exercise and I can feel a sense of looming exhaustion that I haven't felt for a long time. A kind of tiredness that wraps itself like lingers around your bones you know due to the amount of energy my body is expending trying to repair um itself you know be you know i've been forcing myself to be more efficient actually i haven't been forcing myself i've actually it's actually happened more naturally it was just like a how can i do my work faster but have more effect 
and it came almost immediately and so there's a lot of more breathing space in my day because well I kind of have to consider every single action so like now so more than ever and I and I thought I was very turned on but it turns out I wasn't but I really had to practice what I preach which is how I got to you know being so like right now I've become very like uh more pedantic more anal about about set, setting my intention for a lot of mental and physical tasks and which is where it 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 is a perfect point of transition once again for some mental health advice and this is more like a ritual and a practice that maybe you can um engage in that I hope that will give you tools to take some agency over your life if you feel a little bit lost um if you feel you need some help navigating your emotions and i i hope you try this so what you can do and this is what i do now what you can do is decide on a time of day carve out a time of day when you know that you will be least likely to be disturbed be it early in the morning or late in the evening get a pen a paper or your preferred method of writing or you don't have to get a cup of coffee or something that is soothing for you wear comfortable clothes wear no clothes whatever be as comfortable as possible sit down close your eyes for just a couple of seconds and set the intention so what can that look like for me it's it it's like a, a voice or a, a verbalization of me saying i intend to figure out my definition of love i intend to figure out what happiness feels like or my intention is to be honest with myself after that it's helpful to prime your brain for focus now how do you prime your brain for focus it's by by holding holding your pen in your hand and then staring at the piece of paper just one spot on the paper staring at it blink as little as possible and what you're doing physiologically is you are priming your brain for focus and so you have first started out with setting your intention and then you physically prime your brain for focus and then you let the consciousness the, the stream of consciousness flow out and just write whatever comes and see where that takes you um don't judge it just if you want to read it read it if you don't want to read it don't but the thing that seems to happen is that it kind of like goes into your subconscious and you live that out in very like little micro ways micro actions and therefore you kind of create your reality more than just just waking up and going with the flow or just going to bed so maybe that would be um something that you can try so now i've um i've mentioned before that i'm not afraid of death i think i even decided that if i can control it under like normal circumstances that i will die not holding on you know that i'll die letting go you know and it's a lesson that i think i started shaping when i first encountered a dead person um and the second time also and and both those times is when i looked at how my mother responded in those situations though i cannot at you know in this moment give words to the feeling and the lesson it's still something very sensitive um but it's still something that i learned as a child that when the next time it came around 
I was better prepared because I understood innately that this will happen with me, you know, too, and, 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 and I'm fine with it. And the second time I came closer to facing death was this little accident I had five weeks ago. Like I mentioned in the start, but it, it was little, but, but I was more awakened to the probability that my life will become the little dash between the year of my first breath and the year of my last breath. Though it arises emotion within me, admittedly, it's rather a mixture of sadness with peacefulness, but there's no fear. And yeah, I think I'm going to use the words of Maya Angelou once again, and today I realize the reason why I use Maya so much um, is that she has become the voice and the words I use to uh, express lessons that I've learned from someone who was my hero, my best friend. And that's the way that I kind of share her her um, greatness because she taught in the same way without ever even knowing about Maya Angelou up until a few months before her death when I shared a, a video clip of Maya with her. So I guess that memory kind of like brings me a little bit of peace and I guess Maya has become a oof, I'm getting emotional has become a way for me to remember this may be what I my my greatest blessing I agreed long a long time ago that I would die now if I can admit that that no matter what happens I will do this thing. Yeah. This is the biggest bugaboo of them all. I will do that. Well, then, why couldn't I attempt something lesser? Yeah. So I will try. Maybe the hardest part is you, if, if you teach, you have to live your teaching. Mm. You can't uh, say, you do not as I do, but do as I say. No, no. You have to say, I'm doing my best to live what I teach. I have a painting by Phoebe of a group that she calls Sister Suki's Funeral. And they all the women, there are about nine women, and they, they all look like women in my grandmother's uh, prayer meeting group. So whenever I'm obliged to do something, I take that painting and I look at that painting. There's an empty chair. And I think, now, what would Grandma do? What would she say? I can almost hear her voice say, now, sister, you know what's right. Just do right. You don't really have to ask anybody. The truth is, right may not be expedient. It may not be profitable. But it will satisfy your soul. brings you the kind of protection that bodyguards can't give you. Try to be all you can be, to be the best human being you can be. Try to be that in your church, in your temple. Try to be that in your classroom. Do it because it is right to do. You see, people will know you, and they will add their prayers to your life. They'll wish you well. I think 
if your name is mentioned and people say, oh, hell, oh, damn, <laughs> I think you're doing something wrong. But if your name is mentioned and people say, oh, she's so sweet, he's so nice, oh, I love, oh, God bless her. There you are. So try to live your life in a way that you will not regret years of useless virtue and inertia and timidity. Take up the, uh, the battle. Take it up. It's yours. This is your life. This is your world. I'll be leaving it long before you under the ordinary set of circumstances. You make your own choices. You can decide life isn't worth living. And that would be the worst thing you can do. How do you know? So far. Try it. See. So pick it up. Pick up the battle and, and make it a better world. Just where you are. Yes. And it can be better. And it must be better. But it is up to us. Oh, I just love listening to Maya talk. Um, the part where she says... When you enter a room and someone says, oh, he's so lovely. Or when someone, someone talks about you, because essentially people do talk about everyone. When someone talks about you and they say, oh, he's so lovely or she's so wonderful. Um, I think that is something great to strive for in terms of your mental health. It's not necessarily for the approval of other people. Just be who you are, do good, and that's it. That's simple as that. You don't have to be as intense as I am <laughs> um, about race, racism, about uh, health, fitness, about anything. At the end of the day, Maya's right. Just do good where you are. I don't think I really spoke that much about failure because honestly, I don't feel that acquainted with failure. But one thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, like many people wish they started sooner. Whatever it was or whatever it is you want to do, many people wish that they started sooner. Almost nobody wishes that they've started later. So... Um, I'll leave you with that little bit of uh, uh, inspiration, knowledge. And um, just want to thank everyone that came to see me in the hospital. A very, very big shout out to all of you. Thank you to every person listening to the podcast. I appreciate it. If you feel you learned something from this episode, I would really, really appreciate it if you share the episode with someone that you think may benefit from it. Just one person. It really helps me get my message out. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Drink your water. Um, don't do something naughty. And if you do, take pictures. Actually, no, that's not good. That's not good advice. All right. Uh, have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.